Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work to make Christ known to the nations, go to traincpe.org. And to discover more about our radio ministry and our fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We've been looking at the devastating divine analysis of the human condition under sin that God gives us in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. There, it begins with the words, There is none righteous, no, not one. And after that, it descends into a depiction of human beings incapable of knowing God, seeking God, doing good, and capable only of producing destruction and death. And it's universally applied to all people. So how do we explain, then, that we discover these same human beings with some knowledge of God, and some search for God, and some activity that is good, and not fully engaged in destruction. If these verses are true, why are we not living in a scorched earth of man-made destruction? The answer reveals to us the profound mercy of God. What is the answer that we don't see evil all the time? What's the answer that we actually see evidence of good rising from men that are being described this way? This way by God. God has to be telling us the truth. What's the answer? The answer is this. God. God. God in goodness and love restrains and holds back the overflow of evil that resides in all of us. And at the same time that God restrains evil, God and by His Spirit constrains, coaxes, brings out from fallen, broken man whispers of the good that he made in him when he created him in his image. If a man shows a sign that he's seeking for God, this is not evidence that in his own mental capacities and in his own natural capacities, he is tending towards God. No, in and of himself, he's running from God. He's ignoring God. He's suppressing God. It's evidence of a common grace whereby God is nursing and drawing him towards the truth. If a man demonstrates a right knowledge of God, this is not evidence that his natural theology is pure and unadulterated and that he has somehow intellectually come to conclusions all on his own. It's, it's just a sign that God has graciously, through his creation and through his witness and testimony of himself, been making himself known to man. It's not the power of the man's intellectual bent. It's God presenting himself and communicating himself to fallen man, things that are true of himself, things that that man, the Bible says, Paul says, that man is suppressing, but it's still there because God is at work. God is there. If a person does what's good and kind and just and right in society, what are we to make of that? Well, I think we should consider that God is at work. In the providential orchestration of human life, God is always hovering over the world and the society that we live in, orchestrating and drawing up something in man of his own divine image and leaving room for it to play out. That's why we pray for our nation. That's why we pray for our leaders. That's why we pray for our community. Even if they're unsaved, even if they don't come to you, God, we know you can prevail in wonderful ways to nurse from them and what you've made in them and how you've created them something good and beneficial and right. Just God restrain the evil that is within us. God constrain and coax out from us the vestiges of good that still echo in the ruined temple of our bodies. And God does that. 
And God does that, and that's common grace. That explains, that explains what we see and what we experience in the world around us. It is a testament, in light of what we've dread, it's a testament of the profound providential care that God has given in presiding over us so that in all these things his goodness is seeking to lead us to repentance. I want to make a little bit of a correction about this in case we go too far with this idea. These expressions of good that we find in the natural man are not the same as the unleashing of the transformative grace that comes to the individual who repents of their sin and trusts in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's not the same as what's unleashed upon us when we become new men and new women and new creations by the regenerating work of Jesus Christ through faith in him. At that moment in time, we have coming upon us and dwelling within us the saving and sanctifying power of God. We have the grace of salvation that brings the life of Jesus Christ into us by his Holy Spirit, and then Christ lives out that life through his own goodness and through his own power and through his own righteousness. But what we're looking at here is how God still faithfully works to nurse from fallen men expressions of the goodness that he once created them in and that still lie within their very being. So God is able to coax or bring out the goodness and the miracle is it's in the midst of what we've just read. What we just read. That God can still draw out these good things and also the great miracle is although all of this is completely true we don't see the full expression of it because God, God restrains. God holds back the evil that's within us. Now, Let's go back to this idea of the universality of all of our sins. That we're under the force and under the control of the sinfulness. Something that we cannot fully see. Something that God mercifully restrains. Let's make some conclusions. And this is what we come to really in verses 19 and 20, but we conclude it in this way. All that we've just read and what we consider simply means this. You are justly under God's judgment. God is right to judge you and condemn you for your sins. It means that there's nothing in you that you can do in your nature, in your own nature, that will take your sins away. It means that you cannot take credit with God for the good that rises from you. God coaxed it out of you. God constrained it out of you. It means you cannot take credit with God for the evil that does not rise from you. God was at work restraining it from your life. God mercifully was holding you back from the worst that you could do to bring destruction upon your own life and your family and your society. It explains why there's no answer for you in your sins and in your judgment in and of yourself. You'll have to completely die to the notion that you can do anything of yourself. There's any way out for you. It means there is a hope that must rise from a totally different place and a totally different person. It simply means that every mouth must be stopped of its self-defending, justifying words and all of the world must accept their guilt before God. It means that by the works of the law, no one will be right in the eyes of God. The law only proves how sinful you are. That's where Paul brings everybody. That's where God brings everybody. Now listen, it also means this. When you allow yourself by the Spirit of God to be brought to this point, it means that in the midst of this dark, dark, dark conclusion, you can appreciate the wonderful, 
shaft of light and hope that comes piercing through when you read, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. But now a righteousness is available for you and you will not know how wonderful that is, how glorious that is, how hopeful that is, what a way of life that offers to you until you first fall completely under the indictment of God against your sins. You want to have this view of yourself. You want to have a view of yourself in this way. Paul actually called himself the chief or foremost of sinners. You know what Paul didn't say? Paul didn't say, I was the chief of sinners. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. It's in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. He says this, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance or praise or embracing that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. And now the gospel means everything. And now it's a source of great joy and great glory. And now it's the one thing we stand upon. So I have to tell you, I wrestle with the patches like this because I think, oh, it seems to be a little bit unfair. I don't know if I can convince people that this is actually what they're made of. I don't know if I can always convince myself of this is what I'm made of. I don't know if I want to accept the fact that any good that I've done was really not to my own credit, but God somehow coaxed it out of my own life by his own sovereign presiding. I'm a free will person. I came up with this on my own. No. Apart from the hand of God, what I would come up with on my own what would rise from me? Destruction, misery, death, cursing, bitterness, poison. God has held it back. God has held it back. God has coaxed from me, constrained from me. Whatever good has come to my home and my family and my life, I have to accept it. I have to believe it. I have to bow before it. So that then I can say, tis mercy all. Tis mercy all. The salvation that has come to me is all of the Son, Jesus Christ, dying in my place. Let me read to you, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, written by Charles Wesley. And just let me read to you some lines. You might recognize one of these, but the rest you won't recognize. We don't sing them, but they're actually in the song. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrow cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Look unto him, you nations. Own your God, you fallen race. Look and be saved through faith alone. Be justified by grace. See all your sins on Jesus laid. The Lamb of God was slain. His soul was once an offering made for every soul of man. Harlots and publicans and thieves in holy triumph join. Saved is the sinner that believes from crimes as great as mine. Murderers and all you hellish crew come worship by my side. Believe the Savior died for you. For me the Savior died. With me your chief. Ye then shall know, shall feel your sins forgiven. Anticipate your heaven below and know his love is heaven. Come join me, the chief of sinners, and praise God for his salvation. 
and the justice he provides. Let's bow our heads. God, we need to be instructed in these things because the tendency of our flesh still rushes to self-vindication. A belief resides within us that we were saved because you found something in us that wasn't in others. We have nothing to boast in ourselves. We have nothing to present before you now. But what you have here told us is there. Apart from your saving life, apart from your saving power, we are these things. But oh, we don't have to stop there, and we don't. We have looked to the Son who came sinless, perfect in every way, who died in our place, having followed completely all the laws and prevailed in utter and perfect righteousness. And he clothes us in his own glory and righteousness. We come before you sinners saved by grace, saints in the clothing of your son Jesus Christ and by his redemption alone. And we find the joy of the but now of your word. We accept these things. And then we cling with all our might to the but now where righteousness apart from the law has been revealed. Jesus, you are our righteousness. We cling to you and claim you. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, May God bless you.